0: Welcome to the Exodus Cry podcast. Today we are with our Director of Intervention, Helen, and she is going to tell us about a recent uh, intervention outreach that we did in Moscow, Russia. So something that we do at Exodus Cry um, in terms of our outreach to women and children trapped in the sex industry is we... We target some of the large sporting events like the Super Bowl, the World Cup, the Olympics, where large amounts of people are flooding into um, a specific region, and by virtue of that, it always brings with it an increase in demand, and therefore an increase in and in, of of women who are brought into the sex industry in that particular region um, to be used and. So this is something that we've been doing for a long time, and and we've had seen some incredible things happen over the years. And this year is, I would say, one of the most incredible outreaches that we've ever done, just in terms of the amount of breakthrough that we saw and the uh, just amount of fruit that has come through uh, spending this month plus in, in Russia. And so we're going to talk about this outreach with Helen Taylor today. Again, she's our Director of Intervention at Exodus Cry. She's been with us for how long, Helen? It's been a while, hasn't it?
1: Five and a half years now.
0: Um, Okay. So, And before that, you were kind of tracking with us. Why don't we start here? Tell us a little bit of your story and how you first got connected with Exodus Cry. And then we'll jump into just to give some context for people that – that don't know you. And then we'll jump into talking about some of the things that transpired at Russia that even blew our minds here at our office when we were getting these reports. Um, so, yeah. So how did you find out about how do, How did we connect?
1: Yeah. Well, firstly, Benji, Lila, it's great to be on the podcast with you today and uh, fresh back from Russia. I'm excited to share with you guys about Uh, What went on. And yeah, I always think it's a really cool story of how I ended up at Exodus Cry. It feels like a very God story. Um, Just, yeah, I I feel like in my timeline, one very significant moment was when I was. Sixteen years old, I'd say, is the first time I was really exposed to the reality of prostitution. Um, I got lost in the red light district in London and saw this woman standing in a doorway in a red silk dress. And the reality that she was in prostitution immediately hit me as I saw strip clubs and peep shows and sex shops down this alleyway. And I was hit firstly with just the horror horror of the vulnerability of this woman that any man could just go up and pay for her having full access to her body and just the real injustice against women that the reality of prostitution was just punched me in the gut. And I just wanted to buy her a rose. That was the only thought that went through my mind I want to buy this woman a rose. I want to give her some token of her value and worth beyond this everyday reality that she is in of men accessing her bodies um, in a way that she has no agency over, um, most likely. She looked like she was Eastern European. And I was 16 years old. I documented that in my journal. And I think it's amazing now because I I get to go to the red light districts now and give women roses and a whole lot more. Um, but so that was a significant moment for me, age 16. Fast forward four years later, I was in my first year at college. I just started listening to the web stream of The Prayer Room um, here in Kansas City. And that was in 2007, which was the year, I believe, when you first um, really got hold and heard about the issue of human trafficking on a global scale. And I had the web stream on in the background. I wasn't really listening to it. It It's just kind of background music. And normally when the intercession sets would come on, I would skip them because they're quite intense. And I didn't really want um, someone praying loudly in the background while I was trying to do homework. But the laptop was the other side of the room. And I had a lazy moment of, oh, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered, Benji. I can't be bothered to get up and um, change the the set. And I just remember suddenly this, this man's voice came on praying for the ending of human trafficking in a village, Pak, Cambodia. And it was one of those moments where my spirit and my heart locked into what was being prayed for before my mind was even fully understanding or tracking. And I found myself having heaving sobs and just weeping and weeping. felt like the hand of God reached out through my laptop and pulled me right into the center of the grieving heart of the Father And for the next three or four hours, I was um, face down, weeping, crying, and a really, really significant encounter with the Lord. And um, later found out that this man who'd been praying for the ending of trafficking in Cambodia was uh, yourself, Benji. (laughs) And from that moment, I just said, God, if if you want me to respond to this, I will, I will go anywhere. I'll go to Cambodia. I'll um, do whatever it takes, but the ball is in your court. You've got to open the door, but I'm here. I'm available. It's a big yes in my heart. And um, from there, I had a amazing opportunity to go to Cambodia the year after. And when I was there mentioned you in my, my story and they were like, Oh, he was just here interviewing some girls from Cambodia for a movie he's making. And anyway, it's it's kind of a long story of how I winded up a full circle back at Exodus Cry. Um, but I met Blair, the former intervention director at the premiere of Nefarious in London in 2012. And it just, so many things just felt they they were aligning, coming together, and the Lord bringing me to work here. So it's been five and a half years. And um, yeah, what an incredible wild ride it's been, eh? <laughs>
0: Absolutely! Wow, I, I love your story and your testimony, and it's been it's been so amazing to work alongside of you for these years. And um, just you know, I think here at Exodus Cry, our whole staff is just so struck by what a gift that Helen is to the women who are who are trapped in the sex industry, and um, so. Thanks for sharing that. Let's let's shift gears. I don't know, Lila. Is there anything? I, I'm thinking we just jump into. Yeah. Good. Okay. Lila's nodding. Yes. So so let's let's talk about. Except
2: this. for the fact that I'd like to say that I think Helen is superwoman. So she. <laughs> <awesome.
1: laughs>
0: so let's. I agree. So uh, let's talk about Russia. So something unique took shape in this particular outreach that isn't a normal occasion for us. Um, our typical approach for outreach is to, when we go into places of exploitation, whether it be strip clubs or red light districts or various prostitution contexts, we are looking to identify children who in that case, you know, we would partner with law enforcement to get them out So that's kind of a separate, really black and white category of intervention. But the other side of what we do is try to build relationship with women um, in order to instill enough trust in them that for those who would so choose it could find a way out of this life of exploitation. One of the biggest factors, and Helen, I'm sure you'll speak more to this, that keeps these women in prostitution is that... Um, so, so much of their chains are psychological in terms of the way that the pimp or the trafficker, the brothel owner has, has broken them down, has brainwashed them, has manipulated them, has, um, really tried to destroy all goodness in them to be used for evil and to be used for the lascivious appetites of men. And so, um, so oftentimes, encountering these, these girls, these women, for the first time, there's an emptiness that you will sometimes see in their eyes. And so what I've watched with Helen doing outreach is how hope can be brought back into these women's lives by realizing there is a way out. And so, um, so that is our typical mode of outreach. Again, Helen, you may want to speak more into that. But going into Russia, you uncovered something that is, is not a normal experience for us. And I'd love for you to tell that particular part of the story and um, just for our listeners and our audience out there to, to really be able to kind of port themselves into the front lines of what takes place in these kind of outreaches and to see behind the scenes, so to speak, of what goes on. And so if you can um, share some of that, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, as you said, Benji, the the sex industry has multiple facets and locations. And so as well as going uh, regularly throughout the week during Russia to the streets and forests, the strip clubs, um, the locations where we know we can find women, we knew specifically in in Russia compared to Brazil, where you just step outside and there's um, girls lining the streets. It's uh, very um, overt because it's uh, prostitution is legal. In Russia, it's uh, far more underground. And so we had to be very strategic about how are we going to reach women when it isn't as overt apart from a handful of locations like the street and forest area uh, where we were going to as well. So like we do with uh, Backpage Outreach, when Backpage um, was Uh, Not shut down, it's shut down now. Uh, Uh, (laughs) One of the biggest breakthroughs in the movement over the last decade, I'd say. Um, And obviously, there are still sites where women are being sold. That's another story. But in in Russia, even four months ago, Backpage was active in in Moscow. And so I was encouraged to see that it was shut down uh, during the World Cup. But I'd done quite a lot of research in the year leading up to it about the different sites where women were sold, when I was there four months ago, I did a kind of test online outreach and an online outreach involves finding a, a website where women advertise for sex. Obviously, the, the number of how to contact them is there for the sex buyer to reach them. So we, um, myself and the man I asked to be the outreach coordinator for the project called Andre. He's with an amazing organization called uh, Vesavia with Nivoli. And he got on the phone, called the number, pretended to be a John. And this girl came to the hotel. And this was four months ago before the project. And that was the first time I had sat with a girl and she openly shared how she'd come from Nigeria and didn't have her passport and had a pimp and owed this debt of $50,000 that she was having to pay back. And she'd been put under a voodoo curse back in Nigeria where if she did not pay back the money, her and her entire family would be cursed to death. And whatever you believe about um, these occultic curses, the reality is that the psychological fear that it puts on them, they really believe that these pimps and madams have um, power and are operating on a high level of evil. And so that was my first exposure So what we did during the project throughout Russia is set up many of these meetings with women. So sometimes we'd be having um, more than one meeting going on in a hotel and we'd have the guy pretend to be undercover, a sex buyer on the phone, uh, arrange the meeting. He would greet the woman at the hotel lobby, bring her over to a table. Sometimes he'd give her a rose. He'd sit her down and say, "Um, I just want you to know that I didn't buy buy you for the next hour to have sex with you. Um, I've actually just bought your time. Just want to talk with you. We want to just hear if there's any ways we can assist you or give you some life options that will help you. And I want to introduce you to my friends. These are these couple of girls. They're at the next table and um, kind of hand her over to us for the next hour. And what we began to realize is that um, many of the girls that we were meeting were trafficked from Nigeria and Ghana. And we met these two girls who had the same madame. And we decided with some of these girls, we want to do some follow-up meetings and see if we can get this other organization alternative that we met out in Moscow involved to assist um, a real concrete exit plan. Uh, what does it look like? This is clearly a case of illegal trafficking. Their passports have been taken. They are completely trapped in Russia and um, they're under this debt bondage, like a really kind of classic horror story that you hear. And that was the girl's reality that she's sharing with us right at the table. So we began a series of follow-up meetings with these three girls in particular. And It was, the situation was, in order to give them the maximum help and assistance um, and benefits of being able to stay in Russia with a visa, with um, job skills offered, with accommodation, all the the services that were the best possible opportunity for them, they needed to cooperate with an investigation and um, we want to open a prosecution case. We don't want to just extract them and assist them back to Nigeria. Obviously, we want to help them, but we want to stop these pimps from operating. Mm-hmm. and We want to stop the flow of literal traffic of women from these countries in Africa um, coming into to Russia. And during the World Cup, Russia let all these... Um, you know, opened up the floodgates, giving all these visas for the the World Cup for FIFA um, for free. So many girls were coming in on these kind of visas, which made things a little bit complicated. But, and um, that was kind of how it started with us doing these series of meetups.
0: It's interesting, this identification of the Nigerian women in the context of Russia and, you know, obviously being given, um, greater access by um, lack standards for getting into the country and with regards to visas and everything like that. One thing that I would say just to kind of add some perspective to what you're sharing about that situation is that virtually everywhere that I've been around the world, you see um, some commonalities in terms of the, the women demographically who are Populating red light districts, and it's a small handful of women. You know, predominantly Eastern European, predominantly um, Thai, often or um, Southeast Asian or Korean, somewhere in that region. Um, and and you often see, again, almost everywhere I can say that we ran into situations where Nigerian women were were being trafficked and, um, and there's a common story among them and and I'm saying this to give a bigger perspective as you get into more of the details of of your story for people out there who are doing this work if if you see a situation where there are Nigerian women populating a particular red light district there's a strong likelihood. Um, I would say to the degree of 98% that those women are there under the same circumstances that you're describing, which is where they voodoo curses are placed over them in their own country. They're acquired, a voodoo curse is placed over them, and then they're told that they have a debt and that they need to work that debt off or this curse will be enacted. And it's a part of the world where education has not infiltrated the nation to enough to um dismantle these um you know these these myths that that of these these curses and you know I don't I don't want to dismiss them all together but just the idea that these women are literally held captive by the notion of a curse that has been placed over them is insanity and so what encourages me about the situation that, that you guys approach is that there, I think there's a, a huge potential for us out there to target this stream of people who are being trafficked, Nigeria being a major source country for trafficking around the world. And I think there's a huge potential for us to disrupt that by going in and defeating these myths and identifying these pimps and traffickers wherever they are and bringing it into the main attention of the mainstream media and putting pressure on the Nigerian government to crush these trafficking rings. And so I just wanted to pause to add that perspective because yeah, it's something that I've seen virtually everywhere I've been, this I, this this reality of, of Nigerian women under some type of voodoo curse and having to work that off in the context of prostitution is so tragic.
1: Yeah, it was extremely eye-opening to um, see it face-to-face after researching and reading about it. Um, And from everything we know about trafficking, uh, yeah, where there is vulnerability, where there's poverty, lack of education, um, also the presence of Nigerian mafia and these established trafficking rings that unless the government um, and the embassy are really stepping in to... uh, change this, It's it seems to be only continuing. So that was one reason that with the, the raid that we planned, we got the media involved because it put so much pressure on the embassy and the police to take it very seriously. Uh, so we had uh, journalists from uh, CNN and Russia Today uh, show up at the apartment um, after three weeks of...
0: Um, so, give, so give us the, the context. And
1: yeah, well, so... As I said, we'd been meeting with these girls to um, uh, try and persuade them to confront their pimp with a secret recording, which would obtain enough evidence to get them all the benefits and services that we were really, really wanting for them. And um, one girl was just too scared of them at arm She just couldn't, that, that moment when the police would arrive and the madame would look at her and be like, you betrayed us. She just said, I I can't, I'm too scared, I I just can't. The the stronghold of fear uh, was too much. Um, Another girl, we did role plays with her where I pretended to be the madame. I put on my, like, horrible witchy voice and um, it was kind of funny. I tried to make it funny (laughs) because I'd be like – Um, So I'm going to put this curse on you and click my fingers and uh, your whole family are going to die because I'm the most powerful woman in the world. And she'd be laughing and be like, oh, I guess it is kind of silly. You're clearly not. Um, And anyway, so we had a great time doing this role play with this girl.
0: I think you'd have a hard time pulling off the uh, role of a madame Uh, are anything but a madame. But I applaud your effort to do that role play and prepare them. (laughs)
1: you. Like <laughs> um, yeah I didn't want to be uh too scary I I, I did do drama at, um at high school Benji, I'll yeah. have you know but <laughs> um anyway so unfortunately we got to the point where the girl was um was, was ready to do that but said I've just got to call my my father in Nigeria and check he's okay the the culture of honor in her family was. Um, really important so she called him that night and he said if you if you go forward with this plan I'm going to throw your mother out on the streets like how dare you Uh, even though her mother gave permission and said yeah please this sounds like a good opportunity Um, and from what I understand it sounds like the father was actually actually uh, he knew the pimp in Nigeria so the possibility that her father sold her Um, to these traffickers is actually highly likely. So even without that vital piece of evidence, we'd um, been doing We've been setting up secret cameras here and there, and I was able to get the address of the brothel. We set up a secret camera where we were able to um, confirm the exact apartment. So with all that information, uh, with alternative, they said, okay, let's move forward with a raid. Like every day counts. They could find out if they get... Any wind that we're onto them, they might just move all the women. We've got to act now. So there was all this heightened pressure. She got in all these journalists on the day of the raid. Um, we met with one girl, and um, right before the raid, and just gave her one final opportunity: like, you can come with us, or you can um, get out of this. Um, like, are you sure you don't want to get the evidence? Um, have this conversation with your pimp. And she began just crying. It was a really, really moving moment. Myself and um, Taylor, the other girl meeting with her, we both started crying with her. And she was just like, I don't want to be doing this. I hate this so much. I I pray that God can forgive me for being in prostitution. I know he doesn't like it. And we were just crying with her, being like, he knows this is not your choice. You do not want to be doing this. Like... And she just said, you know, I have a feeling that something's going to happen. Something's going to change. And we were thinking the raid is about to happen in two hours. But we can't even tell you that because that could risk everything. So um, we followed her back to the apartment. She didn't know that we were following her. And there we met the journalists, the police. It was quite a roller coaster of emotions. We weren't sure exactly if the police were going to be able to get involved. There were issues of could they get a warrant for... for entering this apartment so then right before we even go into the apartment the madame um the madame and a pimp it's like a a husband and wife they show up they see all these people they're making some phone calls and they drive away and we're like oh my gosh we needed them to be at at the apartment and they're not there but we were like okay well let's just go and see if there's anyone at the apartment so we went upstairs there's about 25 people on this tiny apartment floor and then a neighbor comes out and she's like, what are you doing here? There's nothing going on here. These people aren't in prostitution. What are you talking about? And then starts ranting about Stalin and just drama, drama, drama. And then the elevator door opens and the pimp and his wife walk out and get the shock of their life seeing this whole crowd on um, on the floor. And if you've seen the the In the Now um Video of the raid that we posted on our um, social media on our YouTube channel, I think it is as well. There's the video opens with the the pimp saying, "Turn the cameras off! What are you doing here?" Shouting, and then um, we were able to get the the police to open the apartment to go inside and to bring all the girls out. We were told it's safe to go and wait downstairs at this point, so we all went downstairs. And then the girls all come out, but they looked so different. They'd all been told to remove their makeup and they just looked really scared and smaller than when we'd met them in real life. It just—it was such a bizarre scene because I thought at that point, oh my gosh, did did they get the wrong apartment? I don't even recognize any of the three girls. But we followed them uh, to the Russian police station to formally identify the girls and at that point, we we all thought it's a given. The, the pimp, the madame, they're going to be deported. There's going to be some kind of evidence that will be enough to, if not charge them at least, deport them, stop their activities. Um, back at the police station, I'm called in the main room and they're, there they all are. And after about a minute of looking, I realise, oh my gosh, I do recognize some of the girls. But to protect them... We called them out one by one. Um, I had to interview them in the corridor with their pimps coming out from their holding room, shouting at them in Nigerian. it was a very, very stressful interviewing environment. And of course, they all are very scared. They're all um, repeating the same story of, I'm here for the World Cup. And I'm here to watch the football And did they know who was in the football final or when it was? No, none of them knew any of those details. Um, They were all clearly being fed a story that they had to uh, parrot back to us. Meanwhile, the madame and the pimp are furious about the situation. As you can see from, if you watch that video, they were not happy at all. And they were looking at me like, oh, we are gonna, I don't know. (laughs) They were giving me some intense looks and I was smiling sweetly back at them, of course but feeling so kind of out of my depth and frustrated with the situation and that um, even as we were interviewing the girls, the pimps were in eyeshot um, or coming around the corner. And in that moment, none of them uh, had had the courage to to share the truth about their trafficking experience. They all kept to the story. And very frustratingly at the end of that day, Um, And the police were really frustrated as well. But they said, unless we have evidence beyond the he he said, she said, um, none of them have backed the story that we believe you. And even though we have them on audio and and camera recordings saying the truth of the situation on the day, they had to be let go. So that was uh, a really, really difficult situation, honestly. Um, But what's happened since has been very encouraging, and the way that the embassy, because of the media pressure and spotlight, they have come under a lot of pressure to really take this case seriously, to follow up with the madame and the pimp, and um, alternatives say, well, we're winning the information war, and it's only a matter of time before they're deported. And I, uh, my heart is still every day with the girls. I really wish we could have been able to give them the services. Um, and we have connections in Nigeria. We've had many people from both Russia and, and Nigeria contact us since, with information about their programs, their legal advocacy, assistance that would be available to the girls um, back in Nigeria. But even activists who are wanting to change the situation um, of the trafficking in um, between Nigeria and Russia. So I feel really encouraged with what that exposure of that raid has done and the pressure on the, on the embassy. uh, And we're just watching and waiting and seeing what happens now.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, There's a a lot to unpack there. Uh, First of all, thank you for your courage and being willing to go into these, you know, dangerous places and put yourself at risk to help these women find a way out. So I just applaud you so much for that. Um, if, for those that are listening, if you would like to see the footage that was captured by some uh, news media in, in Russia, um, of the actual raid itself, you can check that out on our YouTube channel. We post about one or two videos a week on our YouTube channel. Um, and that's just the Exodus cry, uh, YouTube. And, um, and the video should, should oh, pop right I'll
2: link to that in our show
0: notes as well. Oh, Lila is going to put that in the notes for this podcast. So great. Thanks, Lila. Um, so, yeah, so you can uh, capture that there. The, something that strikes me that I want to mention with regards to everything that, that Helen has shared about this story, which there are a few stories that we want to unpack about Russia, and we won't have time to get through all of them today, we only have time to get through this one today, but we'll, we'll continue to, um, release some podcasts, just fully unpacking some of the different aspects of trafficking that are going on uh, on Russia and, and really try, try to help everyone understand the dynamic that surrounds these international events and where we can be effective in, in doing outreach and intervention work related to them. But the, the thing, one of the things that stands out to me about this, uh, particular situation is, is really the need for people within the movement to, to really get trained in the area of outreach and intervention. It's, we, we really need people doing the work of preparation before going and hitting the front lines and, you know, going into these places of exploitation because the reality is, is once you're in that situation, first of all, it's important to have a a trained eye for what to look at what you're seeing the dynamics of what's going on and then knowing how to appropriate a response accordingly to any number of situations that might be going on and so in this situation I'm you know Helen grateful that you had the the insight and the knowledge to understand the dynamics of what was happening and how to appropriate an effective response to that so I want to encourage people to um, if you're a part of a church group out there or, or if you're part of a um, of a local um, community and you want to pull together others to begin to look into trafficking in your city and you're interested in, in developing your own outreach, I really encourage people out there to get a hold of our intervention training manual. It's, it's both a written manual as well as a series of DVDs that guide you through a uh, the whole process of, of how to learn about intervention, how to build a group to do intervention um, and outreach. And it's very in-depth and comprehensive. And if that is, again, something that interests you, I, I encourage you to get a hold of that training and and first give yourself to the place of education and and learning about this. There, there are others of our listeners out there that are already, already educated in this and they're doing their own outreaches and we – their efforts as well. And we're grateful for everybody who is um, going out and helping to create an exit door for people who feel trapped and hopeless inside the sex industry. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for everyone out there for your efforts. But that was something that stood out to me because I think, you know, how many people in that situation would even have been able to know what the heck do I do in a situation like this? Because there's so many situations That can come at you once you're, you know, once you're getting out and talking to the girls or getting into these places and starting to build relationship. I mean, you might discover a child, you might discover somebody from Nigeria, you might discover somebody from Eastern Europe, you might discover a person who's been brutally you know, um, and violently abducted and brought into this, or you might find somebody who was coerced by a boyfriend and brought, there's so many different, you might find a child, every situation necessitates a different response. And, um, I think, you know, you guys really, Formed an effective response to this situation, and I'm really grateful for the for your experience that you brought to bear on this situation. So, where do we go from here with regards to these girls, this Nigerian trafficking ring? There's girls that are still out there, these young women that are still out there. How how can we further help the situation? And, and what do you what would you say to the idea of beginning to be more assertive and intentional about addressing specifically the Nigerian stream of trafficking that's happening around the world?
1: Wow. Well, big loaded question, Benji. <laughs> I feel like I'm asked, how do you solve world peace? <laughs> um, I think that um, it's been extremely encouraging to see um, yeah, lawyers and activists in Nigeria through the awareness and spotlight of that video and other journalists who are bringing to light this issue. I feel like um, laws and police response and government response is um, often shaped by uh, the cultural awareness uh, and the response of, of of the journalists and media to spotlight this to really highlight this is a very important issue so I just want to commend all the journalists in Russia who are already working on this as a result of that video um, the girl who made that says she wants to make a full-length documentary on the situation of trafficking um, in Russia which is really exciting so I just feel that Russia being on a Tier 3 level um, in how they are responding to trafficking, which is the lowest level of of the TIP report, um, there really, really needs to be a shift and a change. And as the eyes of the world were on Russia for the World Cup, this is a really amazing and unique time. And um, because of that situation and another big, um, uh, horrific uh, labor trafficking situation that happened in the same week, We've been told that the Nigerian embassy is beginning to take this more seriously and are looking into some of their policies. But I think that the vulnerability of girls in Nigeria is huge. I think that um, churches and activists need to be really looking into prevention efforts and um, laws and um, the training of police on the border. That was something that we were uh, really encouraging and, um, uh, police to do, and we were planning to really actually um, get involved ourselves with airport outreach. But I was very encouraged to see the police um, actually do uh, what they were <laughs> meant to do uh, on the borders of identifying every single traffic, uh, every single Nigerian girl who was coming for the World Cup, and getting all the information, uh, taking them aside for separate interviews. So I think that um, there needs to be a lot more. Uh, investigation behind getting uh, all all um, visa applications from uh, Nigerian individuals, especially young women. Um, I just want to really commend the work that Alternative are doing on the front line in this issue, and um, you can track with them and follow their uh, website and Facebook. But for everyone who has a heart for um, trafficking for Africa and Nigeria, I think Nigeria is, um, is just facing a real trafficking crisis right now, and we want to be spotlighting all the efforts to bring a shift in a change. I just contacted a lawyer there today. We're going to be speaking next week um, about what her organization is doing and how we can better connect her and support her um, her efforts and just use this window of opportunity as a way to rally around existing efforts and hopefully pioneer and create um, new expressions of anti-trafficking work in Nigeria and Russia.
0: We're really discussing this internally quite a bit here at Exodus Cry. One of the things that we've talked about is f- identifying a Harriet Tubman type in Nigeria to finance to start to go after um, these Nigerian trafficking rings. So that's something we're gonna be working on. So. We've taken this this situation very seriously here at Exodus Cry and believe that there's a way to significantly impact the trafficking of women, uh, Nigerian women around the world. So we're going to continue to process this internally and, and develop a response to... Um, to going after, uh, to, to stopping this, this particular expression of trafficking and just, you know, the reality of these voodoo curses. I mean, just, you know, casting these eyes, it's just so crazy. And so, um, so, so that's something that we'll be doing. Uh, as I mentioned, also, we want to continue to bring to you the frontline stories that, um, occurred during our time in Russia around the World Cup. So we'll be um, checking back in with Helen for um, some more of those uh, stories and future podcasts here in the next few weeks. Um, Lila, is there anything that you want to weigh in on as we've just been discussing this whole situation and just this crazy turn of events that happened out there?
2: Well, sure. When we're talking about uh, solutions and you hear stories like this and they can feel so... Discouraging um, when there's all this preparation and all this evidence, and at the last minute, there's no breakthrough. Um, And probably listeners out there are just stories like that, you could feel a little bit hopeless. But to me, I find a lot of encouragement in the area of that demand focus. That we have all these different forms of trafficking all over the world, but truly at the end of the day, those traffickers and pimps would not be there doing that if there weren't men who were willing to buy these girls. So Helen, you have done amazing outreach in the area of demand as well and reaching out to buyers. And so maybe in some future podcast episodes, we could hear from you about some of those amazing breakthroughs on the demand side, which are incredibly encouraging. So I just thought I'd add that. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Helen, any last thoughts before we conclude this podcast? And again, just you know, thank you so much for your courage. Our whole team at Exodus Cry is so proud of Helen for the incredible work she's doing to penetrate the deceptive and exploitative and uh, violent sex industry, and um, just. How the the gift that she has to move people's hearts and um, to identify key situations and to make of a way escape of escape for women. So we're we're inspired and we're proud of you. Any last thoughts about um, this this particular story that you share with us today?
1: Um. Yeah. Only just to say that I've, one of the main reasons I feel like there were so many amazing stories and breakthroughs and um yeah even though the 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 raid ended on a on a note that wasn't the the note that we'd ultimately hoped it would be I do feel like so much um fruit and impact and stirring will come of this so um I I, overall I feel encouraged um about how it went and just all the the explosion of activity and connections that were made, and um, just all the, the precious time that we had with those girls, encouraging them, speaking into their life, and speaking hope into their dreams, reminding them of who they were, uh, you know, who they are truly meant to be, and that this life that they're living isn't the end of the tunnel, that there's hope beyond. Um, and so I just, I hope that they've remembered some of those conversations, some of those moments we had with them over the month. Um, and, yeah, I think that the, the reality of 24-7 prayer going on round the clock throughout this project, that's um, something that we had as, as the model of this outreach with our amazing team helping facilitate that 24-7 worship in a prayer room. And I'm just ruined for that model of outreach that we've done because it seems such an effective way on so many different levels to do outreach from that place as a place to return to. So I'm just grateful because I know that many of our listeners were not only tracking with us on social media, but were praying and just with us in spirit as part of our extended team. So thank you for anyone who was uh, thinking of us and praying for us while watching a World Cup match and tracking with us through the social media, Insta stories and everything we were posting. Thank you. Um, We were there on the front lines, but knowing that there's a huge family back home of people supporting us in prayer and their finances, of course, as well, just um, everything we do, we really want to have that community spirit about it, that it's not just our little team as Lone Rangers doing our thing, it's the movement, uh, what we're able to do together. So, um, yeah, thank you for tracking with us throughout Russia.
0: Truly, thank you to all our listeners, to all of our supporters out there. Uh, we will keep praying for these girls for their safety. We will pray that the seeds that have been planted in their heart will will take shape, and we're praying for them to make a way of us to out of the this system of control and um, enslavement. And we will not stop. We will not quit. We will keep going after them. We will keep reaching out. We will keep putting feet to our prayers. And we will keep penetrating the sex industry, disrupting trafficking rings, going after exploited women and children. And um, and we know that you are all with us in this journey. So thank you for linking arms with us as we um, help to impact and um, save lives and, and impact this, is, this issue. Uh, we'll talk to you guys here next time when we'll, we'll have another report from Helen. So keep track with the podcast and thanks once again.
2: Thanks for listening to our podcast. To learn more about how you can be involved, go to exoduscry.com and follow us on social media. If you have questions or comments, email us at feedback at exoduscry.com. We'd love to hear from you.